Hello there. My name's Phil Williams and I would like to welcome you to Audio Angling, the podcast site of fishingfilmsandfacts.co.uk. This interview is one I've wanted to do for quite some time and is actually recording a little piece of angling history because sat beside me here in the lounge of his house at Milor near Falmouth is the genuine sea angling legend that is Frank Vinicum. Words like legend are used so regularly these days to describe people who contributed little or nothing to whatever course they've taken in life that they've become devalued through people having heard it all so many times before. That most certainly is not the case here. At the age of 87, and having survived being badly injured by a German V1 flying bomb in the war, which seriously affected his ability to speak, Frank Vinicum still commercially fishes for mackerel using the old traditional Cornish hurdy-gurdy handlining method. But it's a skipper of the Falmouth-based charter fishing boat Moss Rose back in the 1970s, along with his brother Robin, who skippered Huntress, that Frank made his mark. The Vinicums were probably responsible for the hooking and landing of more big mako sharks in British waters than every other boat and angler put together. When I first spoke to Frank during the planning for this interview, I asked him what his secret was, to which he modestly replied, good luck. One big mako shark, maybe. But ten of the things, plus a further six by his brother Robin when maybe one a year for the rest of the country was newsworthy, to me is more than luck. Now I know that most mako shark catches elsewhere in the country were accidental, picked up while taking long open water drifts over the 40 fathom line for the more abundant blue shark. I also know that the odd one was sighted and targeted over the shallow reefy ground around the Eddystone. But the more anglers there were out from ports like Lou chasing the blues with all that rubby dubby going into the water, the more chance there was of someone from one of those ports picking up the odd mako. Clearly, that was not the case with you. Because, not only did he outfish everyone else put together, but you also did it by not doing what they were doing. Obviously, the fish had to be there in the first place to catch. So what was it that attracted the big makers to your particular area? How did he come to recognise this? And how specifically did he set about tracking them down and ultimately catching them? We had anglers, quite a few local ones of that, who would be disgusted if a blue shark took their bait. Because they caught so many blues. They were after mako sharks. And uh, we found makos. Poor makos you can catch under the boat, but you wouldn't catch a mako close to the boat. Off a long distance with a bigger bait. But the drawback with a bigger bait is if the fish have already fed, you'll only play with it. Do you see what I mean? I put on a three-foot garfish one day for Major Olden across the sea. It's easy at some old. He was over me practically every day. And almost a calm, and he had a big football out on the end in a net as a float. He must have been totally hundred yards out on the starboard side of us, on the stern he was. And we was having a chat away there late afternoon, and I said, where's your float major? He said, out there, I said, well, I can see it. And he was right, about lifting hundred yards off the stern of the boat. I said, well, that's bloody odd. I said, pick up and wind in your slack, because you've got a big, big looper now. He picking up the only chance you've got now. It, it, it would come tight. He could give him a strike, which, which we wouldn't do to make us a roll. But he struck, and you know that broke a couple of elastic bands off. But that their gar come back with two or three punch holes in them. I said, well, that was definitely a mako shark. So, so I put more elastic bands. It was the same bait, and I put it out again, and he took me again. But we still didn't hook up fish. 
he spit them back again. I mean, whether the bait was a garfish, you know what they're like, they stink. Whether it was that or the fish it fed, see? But he, he wouldn't take that bait. Or he did take it, but he wouldn't, wouldn't eat it. It must have been he fed before, or the taste of the garfish he wouldn't struck on. So what did he find over those very successful years to be the best method, or more to the point, the best bait and presentation to encourage a mako to take when he knew he was fishing in the right area? Well, <laughs> Major Owen, he cut to me, but he reckoned to catch a mako, you've got to come from Birmingham, Gordon Road, one day of the year, you've got a bloody good chance. Here you are, you've got a good chance. And there's something in that too. Because most of the makos we had, and the big poor biggles, and the threshers as well, was caught by somebody the first time of the rod, that sort of rodding around. First time for them, maybe, but not the first time for your board. You knew exactly what you was doing. They were merely there to wind in the fish that you'd caught for them. Oh, yeah, yeah. They'd done exactly as I bloody told them, don't you worry. Word for word. So what was it you told them? Ah, that's the bloody secret you've got to learn. I've, I've been drifting out around there. I'm 87 now, and I'm going back to the late 50s. All right? The basic thing of a, of, a, of a big fish, the basic thing of all, is you don't lock your clutch, see, obviously, but you keep your tip up as high as you can tip him. As high as you can tip him. If you drop your tip to a big fish, he's gone. If he fight the winch, as soon as he fight the winch, pop. Gone. Well, you, if you got the rod, band, you give a bit. When exactly did the make or fishing first kick off for you then? Sixties. And how did it all start? Accidental. We had a ten-mile radar boy down up dead south of the lighthouse. The in there now. They shifted it now. Country can't afford to keep the bloody thing here now. He said. And between the lizard and that. And the manacle boy, we used to call that Mako Alley. Mako Alley. That's where practically all the Makos and Thomas have been caught. Very rich piece of ground. What was so special about it? Well, you've got the manacles there, you've got a lot, lot of wrecks there, which are all in big ling and pollock and stuff, you know? If you look at the, the mouth of a Mako, you can see the in design, the cast pilchers of mackerel. The in design for that. What then was so different about your approach than, say, for traditional blue shark fishing that allowed you to separate the makos from whatever else might be knocking about, and in bigger numbers too? Well, just distance from the boat, basically, and size of bait. Size of bait. Though we have got the mako on half of my mackerel, so you know what I mean. It's so contradictory. I always said I've had thousands of people helping me, saying, Frank, you should write a book. I said, no, I'd never write a book, because about what you write in the book, your next shark would contradict a lot. And that's true. I know it's been a while now, because there probably hasn't been a Mako shark caught in British or Irish waters for around 30 years. So when did you get your last one? Oh, God. The last one we lost, he jumped, he made the jump, spit the bloody lot at us. And that must have been late in the 70s or 80s, I believe. We had some good fish alongside us out there last year. One in Margo, come up and grab the bloody line and jump right out the water. You can't say if he's a poor biggle or a mako until you get see on the boat. Unless you look at his teeth. The only thing is you can say in the fight. The only thing that a good mako will do for you is to jump. 
you jump right, right out the water and you come straight for the boat. And that's where your technique comes in, you know. And you're still using loads of rubby-dubby at the surface on the drift. Oh, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I've got pictures to see of you now. i got people, well, they'll be down there within a week or two. As soon as the spring market will come, you can, go, you can get what I call your local fish. What I call local fish are poor because which habitat, like the manacles and stuff. Very rich piece of ground there. Very rich piece of ground for fish. And if they can get all, all, all year round fishing food there, that what's the point? That's all they want, you see? Well, it's like wrecking. I've, I've, been, up, I've, I've been up on the wrecks looking over, and there's a shark, sharker right, right under the boat, you know? Right. But basically, I would say, mako fishing is 80% luck. You've got to have a good man on the rod to start with. You've got to have good gear. If you've got one flaw in, in the gear in the windshield, what you've got, one flaw is enough one. Because I estimate 100 per an hour if he's hooked in the jaw. If you try and get in before that, you'll lose every time. You say it's luck, but I'm not buying that. An odd fish, maybe. But you and your brother Robin landed 16 of the things, not to mention the ones you hooked that got away. No way can you put that down to pure chance. There has to be more to it. Because they was there, I expect. You know? You can't catch a bloody fish in there. We was down on the key landing fish last night. And all the, the anglers are there. And they said, Christ, look at the mackerel prank out here. I said, look, catching fish, my son, is easy. The secret, you've got to go where they live. They were also in the same piece of sea for everyone else to catch too. But it was you that kept on bringing them to the scales. Every angler knew that if you wanted to crack a really big mako, then Frank Vinicum at Falmouth was your man. On top of which, it was also an exceptional time in the species' history to have so many of them visiting the Western approaches back then. Yeah, it was. Late 60s and 70s. Well, July in particular always used to be a good, good month, you know? I don't know what boy, but boy, there used to be an abundance of mackerel and pilchers then, till the Scotsman came down in the late 80s and waved them all up. As soon as they caught the, the, the thousands of tons of mackerel, what they did here, that was the end of the sharks. So in terms of timing, you're saying that July was the best month? Well, it was for me. Yeah, it was for me. Although you couldn't, I, I would never write that in a book, because the next shark you catch, you could have them in the August. Do you know what I mean? Did any particular size of tide, or maybe floods more so than ebbs, stand out from the rest? Well, the, the longer the drift you got on a spring tide, obviously... Calms aren't much good. We missed more makos on calms. Like I said, that that big one, Major Alden missed. Or not, not he, what he did, did. We had one alongside the boat, the best fish I had. I ever seen. He played in, he played to a standstill. Hours and hours. But the crew I had, I said, hold on that trace, I'll put the rope on the gaff. He's going up and down the bed and he let, as the boat came down, the trace went slack in his mouth. Or he ripped his mouth so much. That he up just dropped out his mouth, he just drifted where they got. I reckon that fish was seven or eight hundred. And some fish. Major Bud never did no good, good after that. He had all sorts of problems after that. Yeah. And these fish were always well offshore, were they? Or was that perhaps because they were originally picked up by the blue sharkers working beyond the 40 fathom line? Was nothing ever heard of them closer to the shore, particularly if the bait shoals moved in? No, I got the exception again. I had a bloke called Buckmaster, I had a big Scots boat then. We had a very strong northerly, which I don't like for sharky. And that boat was 64 foot long, and he was up in the bow. 
and he knew everything about everything. He said, well, one of they come down here, you know. He'd have a crowd around and up on the key. I said, here we bloody go. Anyhow, he, he hooked this one in. We wasn't more than a mile off the, off the castle beach, I don't think. And you know, that that, that shark, I, I, I shouted, you know, keep up his tip. He was right up and bow. He ended up right in the stern. That shark literally dragging along. Every time he got up on his knees, the weight of the fish dragging aft till he got right back on the tra- transom and then the bloody rod tip dropped and popped. Now, that was a big fish. But we got Tunny out here, see? Or we had him. Till the Scotsman come down. And I told me they Tunny used to bring in there in the purser's. I've seen them down on the fish market seven or eight a night. They're five, six, seven, eight hundred pounds each. We we booked them, but the, the kit we got in them good. good. Boats too too heavy, not enough length of line. One bloody run, two three hundred yards pop. We booked them, and we hooked the sailfish down there. That was in the sixties. Really? Yeah, that was in the sixties. Bloody said, hell on, and I suppose five foot long. But we lost that one. He come right up under the boat, cutting off. Crafty, you know. But I, I still say that, that you, you've got to have a lot of luck for day big fish. You've got to have you've got to have everything right. You've got to have the right man on the rod, and the winch got to be perfect. The line got to be perfect. The chap got to be fit. Because I estimate, like I told you a minute ago, with a good maker hooked in the jaw, you've got to calculate hundred pound an hour for every hundred pound you use, and that's hard work. That's hard work. We gotta chase them, you know. Put engines on them and chase them. She'll almost out of oh, line, practically out of line. Three engines ahead. Go on, give give that a gun. Sixty foot, sixty one of the uh, XRF RC rescue boats. We we trip as much as you can. I had my boy on engines, like I was just saying to you what to do. But uh, I don't think we'll ever see Mako again like that because the massive fish although last season we had a, the best bit of mackerel like I told you earlier on for 30 years if we can get schools back like that you'll get sharks back like that but the way the, the way they're catching them and estimating the weight now is a lot of bloody rot you can estimate a big fish like that they beat them on my record by half a pound when they opened up the shark there was a 50 pound conger and cut in half and rammed down well if you're going to fish like that records don't mean a thing to them you don't mean a thing anyway, other than showing perhaps the biggest caught so far. It's consistency that's the real measure. Anyone can get lucky and catch one huge fish, then nothing else. It's when you catch them regularly, particularly when others don't, that's the real measure of skill, which is where you had the opposition well and truly beaten on a regular basis, hands down. I was booked from one, one, one year to the next, I couldn't make a mistake. I have, I've had all the famous film stars out there. You name them, I've had them. I've had a Russian ambassador. All these stage people, you know me? Young Winston Churchill, ready out there. And the Russian ambassador used to come down every season, every season. And he always bring me a couple of bottles, you know? But vodka. He wasn't no angler, but he used to like to come out to what, what, you know, what's the rest? They go through the boat first looking for bombs. This is true. Oh, bloody right. That was in the days of the Cold War, you see. Let's now try to put some sort of total figure on things. Including all the Makos you lost as well as boarded, how many do you think you hooked up from when it all started to when it finally finished? We hooked more than we caught. You would have had the right people on the road. I had a bloke on her sat in chair one day. 
Oh, he said, water, water. I said, you'll get bloody water. You'll be overboard if you don't keep up that tip. And he, he just went faint. Collapsed with a, with a weight on him. Just went faint. As I say, you've got to have a combination. You've got to have the right combination. First thing, you've got to have a shark there. he got to feed sometime in the day or night. They will feed nighttime, you know. We have to make go on the manacles, hangered up for conger. By the time I got the ship the anchor, of course I was that. Did you ever try deliberately fishing for them at anchor? Yeah, no, we, we was on conger. And uh, right on the uh, rock called the vase it was. And ABR, we had a big tackle shop, you know. And he used to do our booking. He'd come out every Wednesday. He was a good man on the rod, but uh, by the time he shipped the anchor, he was able to the line, and he had a bloody great winch like that. Big winch, 16 oh. Although they feed well up in the water column, do you think that the type of ground below them, sand, rock, wrecks, or whatever, made any difference? We reckon that 90% of our big fish was caught in what we named then as Megawally, between the Tamil boy and, and the Manacle Bell. I've had people come down here, they say, where's the best fish for one? I said, well, that's where we caught most of the sea fish there. But there again, the land of Big Mega is, is a team job. No one man, the man on the road, he bring into the gaff once or twice or three or four times. So that's his job. But after that, the skill comes in to getting in the boat because we, we've got every fish in the boat. I should imagine that they're also a bit of a handful when it comes time to getting them on board too. You've got to have special gear because you put a gaff in and there are two big gaffs on ropes. As soon as you start to lift the tail, it's the tails going like that. So you've got to have a, a sliding loop to go down over and, and get that tail. You see what I mean? Up out the water because there's water going all over you. Because they're very strong fish, even after it, even on the road after hours. They're hard, and very hard fish. Whereas the blue shark and the rest of them are, are soft fish, aren't they? So what kind of size did you get them up to in the end? Our best one was 498 and a half. And Joyce Yallop's record, which stands to this day, was £500. Half a bloody pound. But that one had a £50 con run. And since then, the blue skippers, because I will work out a little blue, see? Just a minute, I'll, I'll show you the photograph of that one. I think it's you. The blue skippers told me practically to do it wrong. But they was losing their name at blue, you see? For big fish like the Bacardi Rum. We won the Bacardi Rum Festival so often that they stopped the dubber. Because the angler had a pound of pounds, see? For every pound of shark, like if you, were, if you, were, if you had a blue of, of 180, that, was a, that bloke who caught him would have 180. So they stopped at the blue then. You used to get plenty of blues as well. 20 a day. What about the poor beagles? Oh, we've got our share of they. I, I caught 11 of those in a day. And left about 8 of them go again. Small ones. Any threshers? Yeah. I'm the only skipper in the port car, that's that. No one else has caught one. Yeah, that's the buggers we used to have out here, look. And blue fins. Get a hook in any of them on the line? Hooked them, yeah. Didn't you really? Yeah. We ran right, right, right out of the line, like that. Bang. Well, while you were sharking? Two passes, yes. Cut their passes and half them. So you'd occasionally also hook up fish other than sharks on the big baits close to the surface, including the odd blue fin tuna and sailfish. You certainly know about it when a big tuna took off. The first run, when, when they take a bait, they got, well, I just think five, six hundred yards of line non-stop. Like a bat at a well. 
and with the gear we had in those days, see? Thank you. Just take his hair. Handsome, it. With the gear we had in those days, we had some hardy kit there, which was good. But it's to get the luck, like I say, you're getting to take the right rod, you know? If you've got one, if you're fishing light, like I used to ask some people, oh, I'm going to fish for 30 pounds or 25 pounds. I said, look, that's a waste of bloody time. I said, because the first big fish you have, you're going to lose it. Which they do. Sound like a trout out there, you know. <laughs> I'll let you eat your pasty in peace. What would you say are the standout, memorable days you spent out there sharking? It could be a big fish lost, a long hard fight, or even a last minute catch. Did you ever, for example, ever land, or even hook up two makos in the same day? Well, one I remember quite well wasn't a mako at all. It was the first thresher we ever landed here in the port. I had a little boy, 14 year old, working on the boat with me, and my son sat in a rod, very light rod, I put a leg on it even put him right under the boat. Yeah, I've heard that before with threshers. Drop a small bait down under the rubby dubby bags without a balloon. And that was the same week as when the Jaws film came out. All the London National Papers were all Jaws this and Jaws that. And this boy, the first shark he ever caught. Chris, my boy, said, look, we'll see if we can get the boy to catch a shark. And then people ask, the first thing they say, have you caught a shark? he say said, yes. I said, all right, go on, stick one under the bag, rubby dubby bag. Which he did. Now we are on for an hour and a half. 286. Thresher. He come to the top a lot, that fish. It's lucky I had people there who, who had a camera then, you know, who could take, take the films. Forget what it's called. And they took that fish, under for an hour and a half, and that boy never made a mistake. I stood with him all the time, and my boy worked the engines. He was 15 feet long, 286 I think he was. Then he win some stuff with that fish. It was all the rage that week, you know, in the film. He had rods sent to him, which he sent to him, all sorts of stuff. I remember that one quite well, because my boy was only 15 then, he worked the engines. I was out when he was on the bow seat. And uh, the first one of a species, you know what I mean? It stands out, doesn't it? What about any individual makers that stand out? Not like that, no. Usually, if you get a mega one, you don't catch a lot of sharks that day. You don't catch much blues or nothing like that. He's out there diving around and pantsing around. He, he knows he's up there, right? And you go around for the boat and it's all this tricks of the trade, you know? And by the time you land him, that's part of your day gone. You tell the fighting qualities of a mega is the firmness, the hardness of the fish. Whereas the poor big old thresher and blue sharks are soft fish. What I call you know, bellies are soft, whereas a mako is sheer muscle, and you've got the weight there as well. See, different league of fish. I don't reckon that the rest are fit to swim for fighting qualities in the same sea. No, I don't think they are. Blue sharks, you know, it's a case of well, some mega galavis trying to get them in, but you get people down here year after year who, who caught a lot of blue sharks, it's just routine, you know. And despite the lack of rod and line catches, do you ever see the odd mako out there these days while mackerelling? No, you don't see they. I have never seen one I could identify. We had a couple of thrashers right around there mackerel last season. And we had a big shark, I estimate the to be 300 pounds. The boy back half was wanting in a string of mackerel just before the dark and bloody crash. 
He came up and grabbed the line and jumped at the same time and splashed and put the water all over the boy and tried to share it with him. That sounds a bit like a make-up. What do you think? You can't tell unless you get him on the boat. The teeth is the only thing you see, boy. Unless you hook him, if you hook him, got him on a rod, he'll jump. That's the only thing he'll, he'll give you. Identification. After that, you've got a fight on your hands. Do you feel that the Mako days will ever come back? Could it ever be the same again? No, I can see it ever be the same again. Because if we get any uh, mountain Mako back like it was here, we had the old Scottish Purser fleet here. And up to 38 or 40 big Iron Curtain boats from Russia and Bulgaria and everywhere, factory ships, and the Scotsman was pursing for them, you see. I imagine thousands of tons of mackerel coming in here every day. Well, if you stop that feed, if you stop the feed, you stop the creditors every time. That's for birds in the air exactly the same. Everything got a feed. And if you stop their feed and they wipe them out, we never had no mackerel here for ten years. Is that it then? Or might it still be worth putting some baits in the water? Well, as I say, yeah, you know what luck is. I've got some people coming down from up in Colchester next week. They have a week in the spring and a week in the, the autumn. That's what they're really after. But there again, like I say, like Major Olden said, I told you just now. Look, one day, come from Birmingham and you've got a bloody good chance of one. And I agree, agree with that. And there you've got a good chance of losing, see? Have you ever caught one yourself on rotten line? Or do you prefer to let the paying customers do all the grunt and groan stuff? No, I haven't cut out any sharks at all. I caught a couple alongside the rabbit bag on the, the, the light rod, you know. I caught a poor big on the mackerel. Dad, he was 56. I had Lord Tunley up with me that day. He caught three sharks and I was born in mackerel and this bloody poor big come up and swat me. I let him go on the early. I had an arm for a bit of hour getting him pain on him. I said, did Lord Tunley kiss the gig up, Captain? He said, you caught nothing alongside the boat, did you? I had my hands like that, you know. He said, that's enough, Frank. It's he had a hell of a day. He thought, well, that's it, you know. You aren't going to do that often. I said, no. I said, you catch them often. I said, they big ones take their hooks, like. we got 30-odd hooks on the set, see. They get the hooks wrapped in them, you know. So how, then, do you feel about this reputation you have as the Mako man? Well, look. You can say no, no, no other. Because all the boats are there, aren't they? My younger brother, he had a lot of them, see. He had a lot. But uh, you've got to have a combination of luck. You've got to have a fister first, right? Then, you, like I told you earlier, you've got to have a combination of a, a good angler on the rod. Somebody fit. You've got to keep up that tip for at least £100 an hour. Well, for the first £100, it isn't bad. For the second £100, you begin to ache a bit. £400-bloody-pound, four hours, you wish your bloody thing broke. Major Olden told me that once for that big one we had. <laughs> he said, praying to God the first couple of hours he was old, Praying to God the fourth hour, the bloody thing would break. At least I've had an arm, Frank, you know. So, well, that's it. Uh, you've got to have a hunting instinct, man. You've got to think the same as the fish thing, you see. You, you've got to become almost a fish, if you know what I mean. There's certain times of the day, like if they're now on this job, certain times of the day for the there, like I told the people on the quay yesterday, the easiest thing in the world is to catch fish. The hardest thing in the world is to go where they live. Same go for shark, exactly the same. Every fish, that is. If you want a trout, you go to a trout reservoir, and if you can't ca catch a trout, well, like I've told people that with me, I said, look, my handsome, you wouldn't catch a fish in the bloody sea aquarium. 
Why is that? I said, well, you're doing everything wrong. You, you aren't listening to what I'm saying. Oh. <laughs> and now it's all in the past, a part of angling history. Oh, it's history now. I don't think we'll ever see it like that. I had three sharks boats out of myself. Three skippers and boats, see, on me. There was 11 boats going out here then. Every year, and the crowds come down on the quay in the evenings, hundreds of people see the way my master weighing the fish in his white coat and book, you know. We would never see it again. Well, the shark club is holding up in here now. But it was good. It, it, it was good. I wasn't good about that. Well, the sharking, the blue sharks made Lou mine. Lou was, used to be nothing until they caught up with them. And that was the, that was the craze then. But then it's English nature now. I forget what it was called. They began to kick up after about 10, 15 years of it. I don't think Lou helped herself. They didn't commercialise on the fish. They hung them up on show for the next day, you know. And they taken taken to sea and dumped, I believe. Which some people don't seem the right thing to do. Therefore, we used to eat to air stuff on here. Nice shark steaks, very thick, you know. Handsome. Handsome. Well, I got these people going, going to know very soon. They, they get blue sharks. They wouldn't want them. They say, take, take them up with the show. And I will. Take off the pins, guts in the flap. Handsome bit of fish. No bone, but your centre, little what's called walking stick all the way through. And you was the maker of that history. But now, sadly, it is just that. History. Gone forever. I suppose so. Well, I'm 87 now. I'm out in the boat every day. Still, uh, we'll be after Shark this year again. And you're still hoping for that one to come along. But I get dampened with the idea that I got proper men who can catch a bloody Mako. They haven't got a chance in hell. Even take the other rod, you see what I mean? I know the law of average, you think. Well, Major Alden proved that. He came out with me years on his own. Then he was so intense to catch one, he bought his own boat. But he was so hooked by the Mago, you know? He spent thousands of pounds and got his own boat, which he named her Mago. But he's gone now, he had heart attacks, see? We've lost a lot of people who caught Megos like that, heart attacks. I got his gaff here, and there was well, my wife said there was a gaff for me. I got a gaff made by Grace and you young Christchurch. Proper make gaff, you know. But you've got to have a loop as well to stop that tail. Otherwise you break your legs, see. You're getting in on the boat. Bloody thing going from one side of the boat to the other. And they're thick right down the end there, you know. Then you've got your big tail on that as well, see what I mean? you go got like that. And it's that catcher in your leg, you know it. Yeah. That's some sport, mine, but but probably never to be repeated, which is a great pity, really. You'd think that with a warm water species such as the Mako, and supposedly rising sea temperatures, that more rather than less of them would be putting in ashore. Or could it be just the decline in both shark fishing interest generally, and of the fleets of shark fishing boats specifically, with all that rubby-dubby to draw them in, that was also in part responsible? Fewer boats on the water, unless chum, must reduce the chances of an accidental encounter. Whatever the reason, we just don't know. The one thing we do know is that for around a decade or so, the UK enjoyed a golden era of regular encounters with arguably the hardest fighting and most prized shark species on the planet. My thanks then to Frank Vinicom for sharing his recollections of that fascinating period with us here. Mm -hmm.